So when I was about 24 years old, my company at the time, my first job at Procter & Gamble, sent me down to Buenos Aires, Argentina to look into a job. And all I knew about the job was we would be launching a new product down there in a highly competitive market. So I go down to take a look at the opportunity. And I'm walking the streets of Buenos Aires with the country manager at the time. And suddenly I see billboards. And these aren't just any billboards. These are billboards of a product which happened to have the same name as the product I was to be launching with people sitting on toilet seats. All shapes, sizes, kind of hanging out on toilet seats. And there was an advertisement for toilet seats, but with my brand name of the product I was soon to be launching. So I turned to the country manager and I said, hey, this is strange. I didn't know you advertised toilet seats uh, here. And he said, well, we weren't sure whether to tell you this, but our competition wants so badly for us not to launch in this market that they paid a company which happened to have the same brand name, a million dollars, to advertise their toilet seats because they want the public to think of the brand not as a detergent but as a toilet seat brand. But we didn't want to say anything to you because we thought you'd get a bit nervous about the environment down here and the competition. But my reaction was sign me up without any further dialogues and I'm taking this job because this seems like the most amazing challenge. And in the end, we actually were pretty successful and used the memory of that event as a PR moment to basically say, hey, these guys were so nervous about how great our product is that this is what they did to keep us from entering the market. And it was so memorable in the public because they too were shocked at this advertising approach that it actually, we flipped it and it actually helped us be successful in our launch. My name is Tammy Hurwitz and I'm a general manager in the Microsoft Office Division at Microsoft. Celebrating the work, lives, and achievements of women in Western North America, The Drum presents Exceptional Women Out West, hosted by The Drum North America Editor-at-Large, Doug Zanger. Let's start with three questions. What are you most interested in? This is always a good question. What are you most interested in? Why is that? So right now, I'm incredibly interested in how marketing is transforming and how we can transform marketing. I've been working in marketing or brand management for over 20 years. And when I think about what we can do today that we never would have even dreamed of, not even 20 years ago, but even five years ago, it's really amazing. And that's the cool stuff. But the hard part is really the transformation itself. You know, what are the skills my team's need, what are the areas we're lacking in, how do we apply all of this technology to our business, but it's really an amazing time, and I can't think of any other time in, in my career in this industry that we could do so much cool stuff, but also that we have to do a lot with our people and our organizations to get everyone to that future state. Transformation, like other words, gets thrown about, but what does that actually mean to you, and how is that more of a real word and less of a cliche. It is true. It is true. Everyone's talking about transformation. I think for me, at least where I sit, there's a few pieces to it. One is that we are all transforming our business models, how we go to market. I work in Microsoft Office. You used to buy a disk and put it in your PC. Oh, I remember. And then you had Word, Excel, PowerPoint. And then when your PC died, your office went with it and bye-bye. And now we're largely selling on a subscription model where you mm -hmm. can light up Office on any device, on an iPhone, on an Android tablet, on anything, with all sorts of other services. That's just the product itself. But then how we market it has to totally change. 
because it used to be, you know, you bought a PC and so you would buy office when you bought your PC. So like a couple times a year, Christmas and back to school, holidays. And now with the subscription business, we have to be always on. We have to be talking to our customers every day of the year. We have to be treating them like our best customers, our loyal customers. We have to be engaging with them. We have to be helping them. We have to be delighting them or we'll lose them as customers. So then we have to transform our marketing around it because the old techniques didn't work. You know, we had to do subscription marketing, email marketing, in-product messaging, trigger-based messaging. So then you suddenly have to build out data infrastructure and data science and advanced targeting tools and whole new ways of approaching it. And then you step back and say, do I have the right people to even do this? I mean, I can transform my team because I've got people who were amazing at selling it the old way. Right. But do I have people who are great at search engine marketing? Do I have people who are great at customer acquisition? Do I have people who are great at loyalty marketing? Um, Or can I actually help people transform who maybe came from an old way of doing things and then evolve them to a new space? And then there's me. I mean, I I have to transform. I mean, I grew up selling detergents and dog food (laughs) and Folgers coffee through retailers like Walmart. So what I'm doing today almost doesn't look anything like that. So how do I transform myself? How do I stay relevant knowing that, you know, a lot of the guys and women who work for me know more about this stuff than I do, uh, being more digital native. So it really is multifaceted and it's just been absolutely a fascinating journey. Why do we overcomplicate our work? Well, some of it is related to what I was just talking about, which is whenever anything's new, there's a lot of options out there. Oh, yeah. Um, all you have to do is look at a brochure at any marketing conference, and you'll see 100 names of companies you've never heard of who are helping you in some way. And so it's just inherently complicated because everyone's trying to figure out the space, and it's really hard to determine what's really important and what's not important. And so that by itself is complicating. But I also think sometimes we overcomplicate it ourselves. We try everything. We don't focus. We don't ask the right questions. One thing I tell my team is, look, if you guys are getting stuck on something, it's great that you're working through it, but don't be afraid to ask for help. Right. That's a big one. Yeah. And and sometimes people are afraid they don't want to bring problems to their leader. And granted, you prefer when people bring you problems and solutions. But if at a certain point you're just churning, churning, churning and never really getting where you need to be, It's okay to raise your hand and say, hey, help me think about it. And that's really my job as a leader is to say, let me help you size and scope that problem. Let me help you chunk it into manageable pieces. Here are some people you could talk to that can help you out. And I think think if we did ask more questions and ask for help more often, we could sort through some of these very complex topics we're dealing with these days. Exactly. What's the most important decision that people can make in their careers and specifically women? as well. And why is that? I really think it's about approaching new challenges. And I know this sounds cliched, but being willing to accept some risk. And I have a number of colleagues I've worked with over the years, some of whom have made the decision to keep doing what they're doing, and that's fine. But I definitely think to move one's career ahead, you have to be willing to put yourself out there Mm -hmm. and take on something you have absolutely no idea how to do it. And And I don't suggest to people, hey, like just totally switch careers and throw out everything you know. Right. I mean, you can do that. I don't think that's necessarily the way. What I usually tell people is, hey, look at your strengths. Look at what you're good at. Find roles that at least play to some of those strengths. Mm -hmm. But then find something that scares you. Find something that's totally different. Like I know for me, you know, I worked for P&G for 14 years and I loved it there. And I, I still have very warm feelings towards my time working in the package goods industry. When I left, I said to myself, you know, I want to apply my fundamental marketing skills 
but I don't want to work in the same field. And I turned down offers from orange juice companies and makes total sense, food yeah. companies right. and other types of companies. And I said, you know what? I really want to go do tech. I really want to do something totally different. Again, I was leveraging my skills, but right. I threw myself into a new challenge. And I think I've grown every time I do that. Let's get to the must list. What is a must do? You know, you always hear, you know, yeah, climb Mount Everest, you know, run a marathon. I'm just not that athletic, <laughs> but I do like to take on new things. And one of the things I did over the last couple of years was just run a 10K. And I know half the audience is sitting there like, oh gosh. I do that, that on a Sunday, easy. right? Yeah, right. especially if you live in Seattle where I do. But for me, that was a big deal. And it was funny because when I ran the first race, I'd never really done it. Like I'd run maybe, I don't know, maybe I ran 6K, 7K. Right. Um, but then I just did it and it was actually relatively easy. I mean, my body felt it the next day. Oh, sure. But then I can see how people get that desire to then, okay, now I'll go do the 15K or I'll go do the half marathon. Not for me. Um, I'm good with 10Ks. Right. And to me, it's more of a metaphor of go find something you haven't done and just try it. It's often easier than you think. I was just going to I was just going to ask if it was <laughs> yeah. a metaphor. So yeah. what have you learned from that point? Because you did that. What have you done sort of stepping up in ways that kind of help you look, you know, you had the 10K. What was another thing that you that you tried that was just different for you? Well, I love to travel, for example. And um, when I do, I look for those situations or adventures or things which kind of push the envelope, right. which again, you have to understand, I'm not much of a risk taker in my personal life. I'm not out there climbing every mountain. Right. But, you know, I've gone on a river rafting trip by myself down the Grand Canyon and I hiked. Wait, on- what? <laughs> You went down the Grand a River down the Grand by yourself? Oh, I'm sorry, not uh, not fully by myself. I was myself. just gonna say, oh wow. <laughs> you have to, I'm not a risk taker. Okay. No, um, um, no, I mean like just showed got up it, got and it. said okay. I'm gonna right. go on this trip right, right. And, <laughs> and do this. I know it's not really in the scheme of things that exciting. You know, I've climbed a glacier partially in Patagonia when I was living. And that's one of your must experiences. Yeah. So that's like a professional segue into the next question. Well, and and to be clear, I did not climb Aconcagua. I am not. I mean, I again, if your listeners are saying, hey, I want to hear from this world-class adventure. That is not me. (laughs) But for me, you know, putting on crampons on your shoes and climbing up some ice crevasse. It's amazing, um, isn't it? That was pretty cool. And again, I don't normally in my personal life take those kinds of risks. So I think my experience has been, look, just try it. What's the worst thing that could happen? I mean, I guess you could fall down the crevasse. But right, right. but, um, but you know, just put yourself out there and give it a shot. What is a must read? I actually am not normally a big business text reader. I, I'm mm-hmm. very, very choiceful. And this one's going to probably sound old school, but one that has really stuck with me is a book from the 90s called Built to Last. That's not old school. <laughs> well, so it actually came out the year I actually started in my first job at P&G. And I think they may have given us a copy because P&G was one of the companies featured in it. Right. But what I love about that book is I've always kind of gravitated to companies which have values that I respect, growth opportunities that I respect. And I love how that book took a bunch of companies and from disparate industries and said, why have these companies been around for 150 years? What differentiates a company that is fly by night versus one that has been here since the 1800s. I think all the companies had to be at least from the 1940s or 50s to be in the Oh, book. that's interesting. Okay. Yeah. Um, but for me, what was interesting was not necessarily the companies themselves, but just the shared values. And they found some amazing characteristics, whether it was the mission that everyone ascribed to or the way they trained their people or promoted them from within or their approach to development or the kind of really challenging goals they put out in front of their right. employees. And that's really been important to me because I've had a lot of opportunities, but it's important to me to work for 
a company that is going to have longevity and is going to grow people and not just products. So for me, that book has stuck with me, even though, like I said, there's probably been a myriad gazillions of other right, business right, books right. that have followed it. Sometimes the classics are the best. What's a must learn? This is interesting to me what you put down here because I, I, I get it and it's probably more timely than ever now. Yeah. So this again is probably directly related to what I work on right now. Sure. Again, because of all this data, all these tools, we have to have very sophisticated capabilities to understand that data. And one of the areas I see just really emerging is customer acquisition and attribution. Customer Acquisition and attribution, that is something that is obviously vastly important. Sometimes people kind of go, oh, why do I need to know this? I mean, for people listening right now, why is it so important? No, absolutely. And I'll be the first to say that I heard those as buzzwords too and didn't fully understand it until I just threw myself in. And so for the last few years, I've been doing our digital customer acquisition for Office 365. That means Mm -hmm customers who are looking for us on the web or searching for us or that we can go find customers who are prospects for us. And we've built this engine that allows us to do that in a very efficient way. However, as you put more investment out there, as you employ more tactics, you want to know what piece of your marketing is working. Right. What if someone went to a search, searched for your product, two months later then did a webinar, Another month later, talk to someone at an event down at the Sheraton. I mean, you want to be able to track that behavior and attribute it back to the investment. You want to know, do I invest in more events down at the Sheraton or do I go spend more on search or do I go spend more on on a different digital tactic? And it gets really difficult, particularly the more that there's more noise in the system. And so it can get overwhelming. um, I've been out there just hiring analysts and, you know, people who geek out on that stuff and people who live and breathe it because if you can crack that, then you know you can go back to your company and say, let's go invest more here. Right. And if I can't crack that, then I shouldn't even be given money to invest because I don't know what I'm getting for my dollars. So it is in a really complex space, but it's one that I would encourage anybody working in digital marketing to really learn about. What's a question you've never been asked that you'd like someone to ask you and what would that answer be? You know, no one's ever asked me what my dream job would be. That's a good one. What's the answer? <laughs> so this is going to be kind of silly. And again, I love what I do. But someday I think, you know, I'd love to be a CMO somewhere. But given, you know, I love what I do, I always think, well, what would I do? And I realized the other day, and this will sound crazy, but I am a huge NFL fan. And I was thinking that if one day the NFL came and said, hey. You, you kind of can't turn that one down. You know, would you want to be our chief marketing officer and I don't even want to move to New York or wherever. I think that's where they are. Yeah. But boy, there's no way I could say no because that brand is just unbelievable. The value of that brand, the role it plays in people's lives. And I also feel like it's totally expanding its market broader to women, to other countries. I feel like there's all this upside to broaden the audience. So that's probably the one job. And if they came calling, it would be really hard to say no. Here's where I compliment you. Now, when we prep for these interviews, you know, we kind of take a look at, you know, bios and things like that. I, I know some people at Microsoft, so I've known them for quite a while in my, my previous life. The things that came back to me were, oh my God, you're going to love her. You're going to get along with her. And the point that you've talked about 
she manages to bring in the right people at the right time to do the right things. And so when you talk about building your team and bringing out the right people, that's something that kept coming Mm -hmm. back. And I think that what I learned is that people appreciated the fact that your leadership style is obviously anchored in experience, but it's also anchored in not necessarily not knowing what's next, but understanding what you need to understand what's next. So, you know, it's pragmatism, it's realism, but it's also very optimistic. So that's what I learned. And that's where I compliment you. Is that an accurate portrayal of you? Yeah, I mean, it's a little creepy. I wonder who you talked to. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) No, that's great. No, I really think that's true. Um, I went to a training recently that talked about looking around corners or maybe it was seeing around corners. Mm -hmm. And it was all about, can you anticipate what's next? And this is where I don't know where I get this from. And I think it may come from an innate curiosity that I have that I also see in my kids. Mm -hmm. But I'm always very curious to understand what's coming and then to what you said, where we need to skill up or where we need to be prepared to go there. And I've been really fortunate to build great teams. And, and, and that's folks from inside the company, outside the company. It's not one secret sauce, but it's finding the right people with that edge to kind of go after those big goals and willing to transform themselves and willing to learn. And uh, I love surrounding myself with people who I learn from and I can go pepper with questions on, hey, what should we be doing here? So... I appreciate that. It resonates. All right. You have a little bit of time to talk about whatever you want. The floor is yours. So one of the questions I often get asked is, hey, how do you balance your career, this job you have? You've got two young kids. I have a five and a seven-year-old. How do you do it? And I always resist the temptation to think there's some kind of perfect answer I think that everybody has got to find what works for them. It's really tough. I mean, I will not lie. There are times where I'm running on fumes, but there are some things that have worked for me that are kind of general principles that might be applicable. I think, you know, one is the role of technology. I often think, I actually, I know I could not be where I am or do what I do 20 years ago. Right. Because 20 years ago, my PC was chained to my desk and I didn't have a mobile phone and I couldn't join a conference call with a click of a button. I literally would not be able to juggle my life without the tools that we have, um, whether they be the devices we have, the productivity tools we have. So that's one. I think the other is just, you've got to find your own balance. And there are days where I am decidedly unbalanced, but you've got to know where to draw the line. And the downside of what I just said about all the tech is it can also take over your life. Mm And always on, hey, I've always got that email, even when I'm trying to turn off the phone. So you've got to find your ground rules. And what I've done with the people who work with me are just try to understand their ground rules. So, for example, I've got one individual. She'll work late every night up through Friday night, and then she will not work over the weekend, and I respect that. I've got another individual who hates going on vacation and loves to work and would rather be emailing me than being in Hawaii. Got to respect that. All right. Um, Everybody has their own style. I've got people who live an hour and a half from the office. They want to work from home. So my goal has been to say, look, let's focus on outcomes and let me respect the way you work. But don't presume because everyone has to find their own balance. And then really remembering what's important. Not that I didn't know what was important before I had kids, but now that I have kids, I mean, they're really what matters to me. 
And if it means I'm going to leave the office at 4.35 o'clock to catch a baseball game, and that may mean some pain on the back end in terms of doing some email at 11 o'clock at night, I'll do it um, because I don't want to miss those games and I want to be there for them. Uh, but they will also benefit from having a mother who's career-oriented and driven, and they learn from that too. The last word here, it's like the must list. One piece of advice or wisdom that you'd like to share with the audience to wrap things up today. I think it's related to what I talked earlier about challenges. So that example of not being scared away by the extremely bizarre advertising happening down in Argentina when I was down there. Find something that scares you. Find something you know nothing about. I mean, when I took my current role that involved data and analytics, I mean, I'm not a data scientist. I majored in American studies and film in college. Okay. Well, it's perfect. I, I was a consumer marketer. I knew nothing about that. Now, did I pretend I could do it myself? No, I hired great people. I asked the right questions, but it scared the heck out of me when people would call me and ask questions about certain aspects of our data pipeline. Initially, wow, I did not feel fluent there. And I would say, am I a subject matter expert? No, I'll never be a subject matter expert in data science, but I feel like I'm competent enough that I can make the right decisions, apply it to the business, derive insight, and leverage it as a marketer. So just find something that scares you, go after it. It's the best thing you'll do in your career and you'll avoid complacency. Tammy, thank you so much for joining us. Really a pleasure to have you here today. Thank you.